Hey guys, welcome to This is Joy and Claire. We have a bonus episode for you with Sandy Shepard, aka Mom Sandy, and Will Lanier, the founder of Outwad, an overall great, great friend of ours. We wanted to create a few bonus episodes for you for the end of this year with everything going on, and we just like making content for you guys. So we asked Will to do a bonus episode for us. And he was like, you know, I'm not really sure what I could talk about for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, because we wanted to do it with just his voice. And so what he ended up doing is he did some voice memos for us, kind of like audio diary entries. And we loved the idea. And so we went with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play those voice memos for you first. So you know what the context is for this episode. So you got to hang in there with this one because there's a lot to it. And then we discuss the topics after the voice memos with mom, Sandy, Will, and myself. Claire couldn't make it because it was Miles' birthday. Happy fifth birthday to Miles. We really wanted to get this episode out sooner rather than later, just because... We have an election coming up very soon, and we talk a a lot about what's going on, and we wanted to keep it current. This episode is definitely candid and opinionated. We're all very good friends having a conversation together, so sometimes I think we forget that we're being recorded. But we're all really passionate about the issues going on currently, and Claire and I will always say, speak up about the things you're passionate about. We do not have to agree, but just be passionate and work towards a greater good. This is a Zoom call, so please give some grace on the phone call sound of this audio. It's not my favorite. It really bothers me, but I have to look past it and please just enjoy the great conversation. We love you and we hope you enjoy this bonus episode. So I'm sitting here studying and I get a text message from DoorDash saying, hey Claire, your ice cream is on the way or your dasher is on their way with your ice cream. So I text Claire. A few weeks ago, I recorded a uh, an episode with Joy and Claire, and Joy sent me pizza to have while I was or while we were recording, and I thought it was lovely, and it was it brought me so much joy. So I text just now Claire a screenshot of the message, and I was like, "Sounds delicious." And it turns out the ice cream is not for her, but for a friend in San Diego. And I thought that was so lovely. And I told Claire such. And she says, surprise snacks are my love language. Which, while I feel deeply in my soul that that is the best love language ever, um, I started to think about uh, a few things. What my love language is, why it is that, and how... Um, and how during quarantine and during COVID, the being a single person and having a love language such as physical touch and words of affirmation, how that can, um, how you can feel not loved because of our lack of being able to have physical touch or even see people in person to have words of affirmation. So just sitting here thinking, you know, I'm a single dude living in New York City. I've been here for, you know, well, I was here for six years before, but in my latest stint, I've been here a month and a bit. And I realized today, earlier, I was like, I haven't been touched 
like beyond just like a hug or you know high five like a you know a loving physical touch and i started to think like how is this playing itself out in life and i wonder if other people have the same sense of like longing for that especially single people during a pandemic anyway i think it's really tough it's 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 a tough time for single people because in so many ways it's like the right time to meet someone everyone's at home you can do cute dates outside which is great but then you're also in this bucket of uh, you know fear or analyzing risk like if i like this person can i kiss them do i trust where they've been that they wash their hands that they don't put themselves at risk in in you know certain ways and you know it creates a level of anxiety where we haven't had that before I just find it really interesting that that's where my brain went, especially from a text message from Claire, who is the most lovely human. Does anybody else feel this way? I feel like it can't be just me. And what are, what are we doing to, to, to feel loved? Like, you feel love in a certain way for a reason. That's how you feel love. That's your love language. That's how you f- understand love. But, like, in this instance, in this time, like, how can you make sure and how can you self-care in a way that you feel loved is it possible things to ponder good morning campers um i feel like we're getting into a lot of politics and a lot of you know gloom and doom but unfortunately that's the world we're living in right now and if you're not paying attention wake the fuck up um i watch rachel maddow a lot she's very intelligent. I love her wit and I love her, um, the history lessons that she gives. If you ever watched the, uh, White House correspondence dinner that Michelle Wolf did the opening for, she's like, and then we have Rachel Maddow who you tune in for the news and you leave with the entire history of the Byzantine empire. And it's true. <laughs> she does love to give a good history lesson, but it's also important to see like in context, what's happening now, historical context, what we can learn from history. I think it's very smart way that she uh, programs her show. However, she said something the other night that kind of really got me. Um, it was the end of her show. She's talking about, you know, the end of the world as we know it. And she's like, we used to opine about what we would do if we lived in pre-World War II Germany. What we would do if we if any of these things that are actually now happening were hap- were going to happen, right? We were just, you know, they were just in our brain or in our, like, thoughts. Like, what if, what if, what if? And she's like, it's no longer what if. We're living in it now. And then she kind of posed a question, which is the part that shook me. She goes, what are you doing to preserve democracy? What are you going to do? And then the, the show ended and... I'd never been like so, I don't know, the word is not speechless in a way that um, I didn't know, I, like I didn't know what to say. I was speechless in like, yeah, what am I doing? Like, great question, Rachel. Um, so I brought this up to to some classmates. And we were chatting about like 
this is going to kind of get in the weeds a little bit. So hopefully Joy and Claire and I can flesh this out um, in some uh, banter. But we were talking about the about about law school in war times, right? What was it like for students to go to law school during World War II? How was it different? And, you know, we kind of got into this conversation that the, the United States wasn't, you know, it, there wasn't a theater that we were in in war, right? It wasn't happening on our land. Now this is happening on our land. And we came to, to the realizations, like, we aren't living in World War II times America. We are living in pre-World War II times Germany. What are we doing to prevent that from happening again? Um, or a version of that happening here. And I know you're going to tell me that I'm blowing it out of proportion and it's never going to happen. And I really hope that's true. I hope that our democratic system is, is very uh, secure. But as we've seen over the last four years, it is shaky at best. Um, but then that said, you know, we also discussed, and I th- this is the part I want to flesh out with Joe and Claire, is that back in the olden days, <laughs> uh, the 30s and 40s, there wasn't a lot of information beyond newspaper and radio, Right the way that we devour information today is a billion fold the way of ways that um, people could have back then. Right. So I think the stress, cause we were talking about the stress level of students and the stress level of, of the world. Right. Because all this is very stressful, right. The knowledge of COVID, the knowledge of like all these different things. And, you know, we have access to it at our fingertips at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And in a million different ways, right? I can look at Twitter. I can look at Instagram. I can look at all the news sites. I can look at Reddit. I can look, like, the list goes on and on and on. And it's like, I can become so overwhelmed with all the information and disinformation, right? Whereas back then you had, you know, some newspapers and that's about it. You didn't have this like barrage of, of, of falsities, right? Unless you lived in, in a place where they would, uh, purposely print propaganda and and false information. And I think that creates its own magnifier of what is actually going on, right? Like the, the knowledge that we have or the access to knowledge that we have. And I think plays a really big part in the anxiety caused by all that is happening right now. And I'm not against having the knowledge of this, but it's like, how do we process access to that knowledge how do we process being able to know maybe things that we don't really need to know all the same time does that make sense or how do we manage our access self-manage right i only want to look at twitter once a day or you know um because i think the access to the information is what is causing well for me personally i know it is causing me the highest amount of anxiety about what is happening in the world. Um, there are people who don't give a shit. And as much as I probably envy their uh, apathy, um, I think it's um, apathy right now is uh, detrimental to our democracy. I'm so excited that Joy and Claire are getting more political because <laughs> um, that gives me so much more 
wiggle room to talk about what I love. So anyway, those are just my morning thoughts pre-coffee. I can't wait to talk about this more. Okay. Hey, it's, it's me. Um, walking to class and today's Tuesday. Um, On Friday, this last Friday, as everyone probably already knows, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, and it's kind of hit me in a really weird way that I never thought it would. I can't stop crying, first of all, for like a whole weekend. And it's weird to mourn someone you've obviously never met. But, you know, like, 2020 has been really hard. We try our best to put on a good smile and put on a good show of, like, we got this, stay positive. And I think I've, like, lost hope. And it's such a hard feeling. And I know I'm not alone in, in this. Um, oh, my God, I'm, like, crying in front of all my classmates. Um, I went to office hours for one of my professors on Monday who had been a clerk for her for Ruth, for Justice Ginsburg and I just wanted to be there to check in on her because obviously she knew her and worked closely with her for a year and it was it's important to me to 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 be there for other people who I know that probably are kind of like pretending to be strong and trying to put on an air because I know that I do that all the time but um you know she was telling us stories there's only like three of us there like she's telling us stories about her and I just lost all my hope that I had for what we are as a country as a we're failing at every turn and we lost one of our best voices and I just it's really hard and I just don't know what to do you know I came to law school for a reason to make the world better and Obviously, that's why I'm still going today um, to stand in some sort of way against what's going on. But, y'all, it is really hard. It's just so hard. Good morning, my lovelies. It is 7 a.m., on a Thursday I'm walking my little Shiba dog so cute Um, but I wanted to chit chat a bit um, about uh, freedom of speech maybe if that's what it falls under as you all know I live 
in Brooklyn, a melting pot, if you will, of America. Uh, look it up. There's statistics showing how many languages are spoken in Brooklyn, how many countries people are from, yada, yada, yada. I won't bore you with it. It's a lot. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to live here. So, um, recently, however, um, there's been a little division in what's going on around here and probably, um, a reflection of what's going on kind of everywhere. So downstairs from my apartment, there are one, two, three, four shops, a deli, a bagel place, a doggy daycare, which I don't believe is a doggy daycare, but more on that later, um, and a record shop. Cool, right? All the things you would ever need. Um, across the street, or in the middle of the street, is a median, right? As medians go, they are in the middle of the street, and they are public. They are not owned by anyone um, besides the city of New York. But said shop owner of said alleged puppy store, of which I've never seen a puppy in, is boarded up. But there are always lots of people hanging out and lots of pit bulls. I'll let you uh, imagine what I think goes on there. Um, Homeboy has taken it upon himself to install some flagpoles on the median. And at first, I was like, cool, I don't mind these flags because there was an American flag, there was a Puerto Rican flag, totally support, all of that. Um, And then last week, more flags went up. And I can't help but uh, ponder that they are there to um, incite a little bit of, I won't say violence, but division. So he installed upon a flagpole in the middle of the street a thin blue line flag which as you know, or maybe you don't know, um, is a flag in support of the police. And I don't want anyone listening to this to think I don't support police. I think what the police do as their primary duty of keeping the peace is great. Um, I am a supporter of finding other ways um, to uh, leave them of some of their duties that they are, one, untrained for, two, unqualified for, three, grossly underpaid for, um, and get the help that they need to assist them in their work. Um, However, the thin blue line flag has become a uh, point of um, pride, I guess, or a point of opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Obviously, we know Black Lives Matter has been very uh, defund the police, to put it in a very general term, I'm not uh, uh, belittling anything that anyone stands for. Um, what Black Lives Matter is doing for the movement is amazing, um, and we could probably talk for hours and hours about all that. However, this flag instills a little bit of animosity, and it's put up to taunt, much like those people who wear the red hats. Uh, they don't wear them for any other reason but just to be an asshole. He installs this thin blue line flag. I'm pretty friendly with our downstairs neighbor and she has the room that basically looks out onto the street and she's um, a woman of color, very politically active, upstanding member of society and she's angry. Uh, I mean, I see her in the laundry room and we chit chat about it. 
Um, so the next day after I saw it, or maybe this timeline doesn't matter, a couple days, one day, I go for a run in the morning and at the end of my run, you know, I'm feeling one, like death, but two, like I've done something great. Um, cause I did, I ran two and a half miles. Um, so I take it upon myself to jump up, snatch the flag down, walk it down the block, throw it in the trash can because I don't need that kind of shit in my view every single day. Um, it's, it's, he's not supporting the police. He's trying to cause some divisiveness and that's just, I, in front of my house, don't do it. If you want to do it privately, if you want to support and wear that on your shirt, go for it. But in a public place, in a, on a public pole, don't do it. So, nary two hours later, old boy's out there with a taller ladder making a taller pole sticking another flag up there i guess he has like a back stock and i go out to inspect said pole and he's driven nails through the bottom of it like spiky nails and so that if someone else tried to get it they could injure themselves um again this is on public property that he's defacing with duct tape pvc pipe and flags um so i can't obviously not gonna hurt myself trying to get the other one it's too tall too tall and whatnot so i call 311 um to be like you know someone's defacing public property da, 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 da. they come out they don't do anything um so i've been calling every single day since then but i think my point is maybe i don't have a point i just wanted to share this story and it's it makes me very sad that we're at a time in in our country and our lives that instigating is what people want to do i also have another theory that he's running like a shady business and he just puts that up to make sure the cops don't stop there but um that's completely unfounded the inciting the or instigating the hate is is probably more in line the silver lining of this tale is catty cornered um across from the uh, where we are is a little bar called rebecca's never been um but it's lively at night it's great they installed a flag on the pole outside their building a pride flag and then the next day across the street is this big apartment building there are three windows that i'm assuming are owned by one person and spread across those three windows is a giant black lives matter sign so all hope is not lost. Um, he's going to be lonely on his little median, but I just wonder if anyone else is dealing with this type of thing. If you see red hats, anytime I see somebody in a red hat, I get really upset, even if it ends up being like a Washington Nationals hat, which brings its own level of upset, but I digress. Anyway, hope everyone's doing great. We're almost done with our walk. Talk soon. Oh, hello. So it is, what is today? Thursday. Um, we heard on the news. Well, let me talk about my morning. Um, you may hear that my voice is behind a brand new mask. Here's why. On the subway, riding to school, I had to sneeze. And guess what? It was a proper sneeze. The reason the sneezes exist to get stuff out of your face that stuff ended up inside my mask. So good news, the mask worked. Sad news, I didn't just have a spare. Um, 
so continued my ride, got out, went to Whole Foods, bought a $24 mask, which is highway robbery, but here we are. How's your morning? Um, so yeah, so today is Thursday. Uh, yesterday around 1.30, we heard that um, Brianna Taylor's killers um, are basically not being prosecuted, which is not right. Um, and, you know, compound that with all the anxiety that we've all been having. Um, and just seeing the gross injustice that just keeps on permeating our 2020, or hell, our lives, but coming to a very ugly head in 2020. Um, I can't help but semi-quote something my, one of my good friends recently told me. Um, she's Buddhist and was talking about how that a a tulip bulb maybe not a tulip this is why I should probably write these things down before I start talk, start talking about them. a fl- uh, an annual bulb of a flower right if it blooms too early it will die but it must endure the most frozen winter in order to enjoy its most beautiful spring because if it blooms too early it will die so her telling me that is kind of you know a compound of all of my stresses but to to let me know that the time we're going through is required for us to really get to this beautiful spring that we are uh, most definitely going to enjoy. Um, And it's something that I'm having to remind myself of every time um, I start to get down on the state of the world, you know, and more and more is happening. We know it's gonna happen. We know Donald Trump, that fuckwad, is going to undermine the election, is going to make everything way worse before it gets better but we have to remember that it will get better right always wins it'll just take a little while so contrary to my crybaby posts the other day I'm I'm not saying I'm renewed and I'm definitely not uh, hopeful (laughs) Uh, there's still a lot of loss of hope, but, um, I just have to remember that we are that bulb and we have to endure the winter because if we come out of this too early, we won't appreciate what we endured and we truly won't change if we come out of this too early. So here we are. Happy Thursday. I love you all. 
So I'll just get started. So we're going to do a podcast today that's a bonus episode. And actually, we're recording. I'm just going to go. This is a bonus episode because we have Sandy, and it's like bonus times 10,000. We have Will Lanier, Sandy Shepard, two of our podcast best friends. If you don't know them, where have you been all our lives? Um, <laughs> Will's the creator of Outwad, among other amazing things in his life, which we'll get to. Sandy Shepard is our, what do you say, our sponsor wrangler and best friend and podcast mom. Mom, We call her Mom Sandy. (laughs) We have met these two, we've known you for five to ten years just based on our our (laughs) podcast life. I just base it off of our podcast life. It feels like I've known you guys forever. But we are just really good friends with these two. And I mean, I wouldn't even say friends. I'd call you family at this point. But the reason we're doing this episode is Claire and I really wanted to have, we wanted to have different voices, um, especially with what's going on right now in the world. And Will was nice enough to do some voice memos for us just kind of throughout I don't know, what would we say, like the past month and a half, two months of what's going on right now. And we're recording this today. It's October 25th. If this is like in some time capsule, it's the year 2020. <laughs> I always have like this weird feeling of 50 years from now, if someone's like still listening to podcasts and listening to our voices, I'm like, what? We're still here. Our voices are still here in the ethers. <laughs> we so have this crazy. like time capsule of memories here. So We'll, we're going to play these recordings at the end of this episode, but we really wanted to have a discussion about them because just because we feel like these things are very important. And, you know, one of our bonus episodes we had was with Laura Ligos, the sassy dietitian. Will, we just really love everything that he stands for, everything he does. He's currently in law school, but you will move on and do more amazing things, I'm sure. And Sandy, I just love (laughs) Sandy's perspectives on life. I feel like Sandy always has an answer for everything, a good answer for everything. Um, It doesn't have to be the right answer, but she always has a really good answer and perspective. So I always go to her whenever I need her for to bounce ideas off something and not to mention you're just a really good friend. So I want to start with the first voice memo, which you titled Will called Love Languages. And you talked about how you got a text message for a delivery for food and it happened to be like the wrong person, but you still were like, it just kind of got me thinking about like this person was sending food because it was their love language. Like they were like, I'm sending you. It was Claire. Yeah, it was Claire sending (laughs) someone food because she's like, surprise snacks are my love language. And it got you thinking about love languages and how yours is touch and words of affirmation. Yeah. And how this pandemic has really screwed that for us. And I didn't even think about that, Will. And Sandy, you can chime in whenever. But I didn't even think about that. Of Like how for a lot of us, like my, I would say my love language really is words of affirmation as well, which is easy to do. But if you're someone who is acts of service or touch, then I feel like we're so limited. I, I think every love language would be limited in this pandemic, but how have you been dealing with that? And why did you think of that during that voice memo? So when I got the text message, so Claire sent food to someone and I was still on the alert because she had sent me food. Yeah, right. Recorded right. Our last it was thing. like a, it was like a, she still had you on the alert, but it was for yeah. someone else. Yeah. It was for someone else in like some in Inglewood. Like I don't even know where it was. It wasn't even in Colorado. And I was like, I texted her. I was like, I hope they love it. (laughs) Um, And we like talked about love. So I, when I recorded that, I remember when we first had lockdown, it first started, 
Um, I was in Austin at the time and like we weren't touching anyone. We were like, I couldn't even like hug my friends. Like we weren't seeing our friends, right? We, everything was closed. Right, you're like joking with the elbow bumps and you're right. like, mm, and, like quarantine like, high five. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's so bullshit. Like give me your elbow. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and I remember the first time that I got to hug someone, it was my mother and I had met her. Um, so she has chickens and she would always bring me eggs from her chickens as a vegan, I will still eat her chicken eggs because I know that she's... You know where they right. come from. She right. loves them. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I never buy them, but like she would... So I met her like halfway and she would give me eggs and she had some other stuff. And I remember being like, like I doused my hands in sanitizer. I had my mask on, but I like hugged her and I was like crying because I like hadn't felt any human like against me. Right. Um, and, you know, that just kind of perpetuated itself further and further into quarantine and then I get to New York and like I don't all my friends are gone I mean they were like my friends that were here are either like upstate or they left the city or you know not seeing them and like yeah I recorded that I was like I just miss the like I I need to be held and I, I haven't like not even in a sexual way I mean right but just like, straight, but like, <laughs> and I, like don't get me wrong right but like I love to cuddle and I love to like my poor dog hates to cuddle so like you know it does I don't even get that so <laughs> You know, I was just thinking about that and with Claire being able to send the food and like still being able to like have that love language. So it's like probably very fulfilling to her. Right. And hopefully for people who maybe their love language is gifts, like uh, you can yeah. still get that. Gifts, kind of right, thing. right. And like, I, those aren't mine. And like, right. I want you to tell me you love me, tell me I'm pretty and pet me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I need lots of pets. Sandy yeah. needs pets too. We all need pets. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, I, I mean, don't need pets. I oh, do you don't? Pets. That is not my love language. Oh, wait, what's your love language? Uh, I thought you needed pets. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. And it, the thing that's really funny is that, um, well, I don't know if you know, my husband passed away in June suddenly, and he was a very stoic guy. He was Austrian. And so, like, you'd look at him and go, he kind of scares me a little bit. But his love languages were touch, which is so doggone funny. And it is funny because uh, if you, if you met Herbert, you really would be like, he does not want to be touched or looked at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no joke, like really, but touch was his number one. And then his, his number two was words of affirmation, but because English was his third language, cause he was sort of a shit disturber. He, he learned German or he learned German in school. And then he learned Spanish because he didn't want to take English. And then of course, you know, ha ha. But um, he loved those schmaltzy cards, you know, the ones that like with the poems and whatever. My love language is gifts of service or, you know, what it is, the, Acts whatever of service. that's called. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Acts of service. And I'm, and touch is way down on my list. And so he, our, we didn't realize we went to, um, we went to a love languages workshop at one point. And, and I'd certainly suggest there's that love languages questionnaire. And Joy, I'd, I'd sure suggest that you just like link that, to it. Yeah. 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 Link to it. Because um, when we, an we each answered it, we gave the other one. And he said to me, he said, no, your love language is gifts. You love gifts. I'm like, no, you like to give gifts. And I'm fine with that. That's but, like and Scott. So like, yeah. And so like the teacher or coach, whatever says, you know, the beauty of that is if the person doesn't have gifts as their number one love language, you can give them one rose and it's the same as giving them three dozen roses. Right. I was like, oh, I like that. That's good. <laughs> but once I found out that touch was his love language, it completely changed our 
relationship. And then, so I really understand because he, when he was so sick and he was sick in COVID that um, it was, it was kind of a desperate situation because he couldn't even, you know, see friends and, you know, because he was so, he'd been so sick before he passed that um, we couldn't have people to the house because I was too afraid. And so my, um, my gym wife actually took on um, doing, I gave her my credit card. She did all of my shopping. She did everything so that I was literally at our gym. We have a garage gym and home with Herbert. And um, I just, I felt such a loss for him because for me, I was like, I'm totally good with You're this. You're good. I'm right. Good but him, service. yeah, you know, I was, I was getting up every three hours. I was doing the morphine cocktails. I was doing whatever. And he's like, I don't understand how you can even do this. I couldn't do this. And I said, because I'm very present, I am giving you something that I know that I'm giving everything I can. And I think maybe that's one of the problems too, is that if your love language is a little bit off in the coronavirus times, uh, somebody once told me, I think Claire actually told me that um, grief is love that's stuck in your body and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. And, yeah. and so I tend to think that maybe that's part of the problem is like your hugs are building up because that's your love language. And it's, um, it becomes grief because all that love is inside of you. And I think it builds into this hopeless grief feeling because you can't let it out. And, um, Oh my God, it's so true. I know that Herbert had that. And so I feel bad for that for you. Yeah. Will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because, um, uh, I don't have it and I'm very thankful, but, <laughs> but I really get it. I mean, I, I, I lived with it, you know, for yeah. 20 years. So I do understand that person. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it just compounds everything that we're already dealing with. And especially Sandy, what you went through the past few years with Herbert's health and yeah, having to deal with that at the start of the pandemic and beyond is just, it just layers upon layers. And I don't think we're taking enough time to really acknowledge how much pain that causes us, whether we acknowledge, or whether we know it or not. If you find yourself just getting really irritable or sad for no reason, I feel like we're just basing our emotions off of normalcy. And it's just like this whole year is not normal. So any emotion that you're feeling and judging yourself on or feeling like, why am I just so upset all the time or whatever it may be is so can I say can I say one thing there's there's a phrase yeah that I hope I never ever hear again ever 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 it's the new normal yeah that has become my I am allergic to that phrase right now and I also just sent something to my cousin who we've become you know there are good things with the coronavirus because you become closer to people that you never would imagine right that's true and um I sent her a thing. And I said, my desire for 2021 is to live in precedented times. <laughs> I want to live in precedented times. I'm done with unprecedented. So can you just explain a little bit? Cause well, I, I saw you nod about the new normal. I want to know why that bothers you. I'm just, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm curious why, cause I've heard a lot of people say that they're just so frustrated with this like new normal. I want to unpack that for just a second. I mean, I, for me, and I, I mean, Sandy may or may not agree. Like the first time I ever heard new normal was when I had cancer and like your new normal is going to be this. And I don't, it feels like you give up when it's a new normal. It's like, oh, you don't have any control over this. Okay, and it's yeah, like, yeah. 
when, when, you know, this is our new normal, we're always going to be wearing masks. We're always going to have to like have plexiglass dividers between us at the restaurant. Like, no, like there's some strength in understanding the reasons we got here, but there's weakness if you're not trying to make it better or change it. And I feel like saying new normal is like complacency and like giving up and giving and, up and not fighting for what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it could be a new era of like how we interact with the world and but it needs to come from a positive place, not new normal where I feel like it's oh, we just have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's where. New normal never, never to me, that phrase is never a positive. Like that, that's, I guess that's my feeling. And that's sort of like what you just said, which is, which is if somebody says it's a new normal, it's like, it's like, if you think of um, a graph, it's like, we've, they're, they're telling me my baseline is below zero and that's where it is now. And it's like, no, I'm just, new normal is never better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that phrase never means we're better to me. Yeah, I can hear that too. It, it is, I can see that, Will, just feeling like, okay, we better get used to this now. You just have to accept the shittiness. And I think that there's a part of us, this, especially just knowing that both of you is we're fighters. And it's like, don't tell me to accept this new reality. I think with the coronavirus, people are just saying like, at least speaking for myself, I was always waiting for it to be over. I was waiting for like the light at the end of the tunnel. And I talked to one of my therapists about this. I was like, I'm so tired because I can't see the the light at the end of the tunnel. Normally with goals or problems, you have some sort of a map that you feel like you know where you're going. Or if there's a natural disaster, Sandy in California, there's a lot of earthquakes, not a lot, but there are earthquakes. It's not uncommon for earthquakes and you have it and you deal with it and you move on. There's an event, there's an aftermath, there's a rebuilding. With this pandemic this year, we don't have that luxury. That's just been the hardest part for me is I need a plan. I need to know what's gonna happen and when the ending point is. And when I think of the new normal, it's kind of like, well, you just don't, you have to be certain about the uncertainty. And I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's comfortable with that. We can go off on a tangent about nothing is, nothing is certain, but you know what I'm saying? Like just the, the rhythm of our life was, was shaken and that does not feel good. And there's a part of us that's fighters. It's like, I don't want to accept this. Don't tell me there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? You know, like, and so she told me, this therapist, she was like, think of it as a marathon. You know, you've ran marathon, you've run marathons before. You take it one mile at a time. You don't think of the whole marathon and you just have to take it one mile yeah, at a time. Yeah, but even with the marathon, you know, you know when there's an ending point. <laughs> there is an ending point. I mean, right. I, you know, after having done Ironman or marathons or whatever, I did know that I had to embrace the suck for a certain period of time and then it yep. was done. Totally. Now, if instead... I'm running to catch a car that is constantly just ahead of me, you know? So it's a good analogy. The marathon's a good analogy, except for taking it one mile at a time, not knowing whether it's going to be 26 point, whatever miles right. or 40,000 miles. Or, or all of a sudden you're running and they're like, guess what? We're going to just make sure that this is like a hundred mile race. You're just going to do a century yeah. run. Okay, cool. Yeah, just oh, and then running. at this, at, yeah, just keep running at the end of the century run. It might be another century one run. We're not right. sure. Just keep running. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So let's move on to the second voice memo because it's kind of, especially with the pandemic and dealing with a lot of our grief and our frustration about our, because I do think at the beginning we were grieving our quote unquote old lives, like the regular hugging, 
smiling, being able to see each other's smiles <laughs> life. And I think now they're at least speaking for me. I think we all have feelings about this is just the anger towards the administration. Um, and if you're listening and you know, you don't want to hear a political rant, then I don't know what to tell you. You, you can't <laughs> fast forward, <laughs> but don't fast forward because I feel like you have to face reality. I don't know. But if you're not in the mood for that, I'm just giving you a, a fair warning. But the the next voice memo, you talked a little bit about um, the, I think, what did you call it? I love that you named them different. We were talking about the Rachel Maddow, uh, you watch you watch Rachel Maddow, and how she was like, what are you going to do for democracy? Oh, God, that, that hurt my soul. Yeah, so talk about that. that a little bit. So Sandy gets oh, the, the update, too. So this, that memo, like, so I listened to Rachel in the morning, because I don't have cable but it's on a podcast the next day. And, oh God, I, I, it just came back to me. <laughs> it just hurt my soul again. Not hurt, but like it hits you hard. So at the end of her show, Sandy, she says, before all of this, we were, you always think about what would you be doing if this happened in your country? What would you be doing if this happened in your country? And she goes, it's happening in your country. What are you doing for democracy? And then roll the credits. Like, and I was just, I watch Shook. her every night. So yeah. I actually know the one you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> I got getting chills because like that just shook me to like my soul because it's the kind of thing you see in a end of the world movie, like mm-hmm. the last broadcast, yep. you know, before the war or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it made me think it's like, what, what would I, what, and what am I doing? I'm what in law school. Doing? This is a part of the reason I'm in law school is this dumb fuck in the White House and like all all of the enablers. I've got to be able to do something and in order for me to be able to or to felt like I was doing something. I'm not like a rebel rouser. I'm not gonna like, you know, protest and like I got I support all of those things, but that's not in my I will support you in that. I this is not where I'm going with like I would rather do something on a legislative side or or a legal side and, and, and fight for those people who need it and then fight against those people who are corrupt and allow what has happened in the last four years to happen. So mm-hmm. it's, it was a huge reason of me deciding to go to law school. Like I, you know, I started studying for the LSAT two years ago before, I mean, while this ding dong was president, but like before all the, this ding dong. <laughs> I have so many names. For him. <laughs> ding dong. Um, That's a good one though. Ding dong. <laughs> I'm liking that one. Yeah. It was a big reason and it just gets worse and worse. And it like lights a fire under my ass every day. I'm like, this is why I'm in law school. Get your yeah, reading done. Totally. This is why I'm in law school. You're writing a stupid paper, but you, at the <laughs> end of the is, tunnel, yeah. the, the end of this tunnel, like there is an end of the tunnel for me for law school, like it's three years, like you're done. Then I can do something and make the change. And you know, for democracy. I, I saw Rachel. Um, I, I heard that one. The other one though, that I heard, which uh, is the one that gave me sort of the gut punch was where she was saying, basically, if you're complaining and you're not doing something right this second, whatever that something is, then if if nothing changes, if everything stays the same, the Senate stays the same, the executive branch stays the same, will you be able to say that you did everything you could to um, to help effectuate a change? And so I have a girlfriend who's making calls in Wisconsin. She's here, but she's calling voters in Wisconsin and she's doing that. And that is not my thing because I am too much of an introvert to that, to do that kind of thing. But then I found out another girlfriend is handwriting postcards to Pennsylvania, I think, and stuff like that. So I immediately got on that saying that I can do. 
100% I can do that. And so that was really important to me. But again, it was that Rachel Maddow sort of um, wake up call where, yeah, I can feel hopeless and watch the news and go, I, I would just like the news to go back to where we're not talking every single day about something unbelievable that got tweeted or this or that, mm. you know, back in the day when we didn't even talk about the president every yeah. day. I don't want to know anything. Like I cannot wait for the day where I don't want to turn on my TV and hear the president this. I don't want to know what he's doing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're running, he running should, the country. You should be running the country. You should not yeah. be tweeting bullshit yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. that was the thing for me. It's kind of like the, it was, it was the same sort of feeling. Uh, yeah. from her, which is what, what can you do? And she said a bunch of stuff and I'm like, I can't do that. I, I'm not going to door knocker. I, right. I can't make those calls. I can't, whatever. But then the second I found out my girlfriend was doing this postcards, I was like, Oh, now that I can do. Right. I'm doing it's, text message campaigns and it's yeah, but same a deal. low lift. You don't talk Perfect. to anyone. It's on a platform. It's like a, on a digital platform. You can send See? 250 text messages in one swoop. And then if you get replies, you have like your, you know, but how great is that? I didn't know that that was a thing. It's so great. I sent like 2,500 text messages a few weeks That's ago fantastic. for Texas Democrats. Yeah. Wow. It's so cool. See, that, and then like people, some people reply or some people like don't contact me anymore. Or some people are like, Fine. how can I get involved? And you have these plug and play answers, but you, go, yep. you can also just type them back. So that's, that's amazing. Great. Yeah. So, oh, that I also really don't hard. like making phone calls. I'm not going to knock on yeah. the door. Like, yeah. I think we I all have our things. All day yeah. long. <laughs> I have a friend, the same thing, Sandy. I have a friend, Jess, our friend Jess does phone calls and yes. she's great at it. And I'm like, that is amazing. Everyone has their strengths. So find out what you're good at, find out where you can contribute. And I think that and goes for it. everybody and do it. Yep. And it doesn't yep. have this to be really on this large scale where you're like nope. out in front of people. You can absolutely <laughs> Yeah, you can find ways to help. And I think that's what is the most important thing. I wanted to bring up too, when you were talking about this, is just how we consume information and how we are flooded with information and how, (laughs) I don't know, hundreds of years ago or even, you know, 50 years ago, you just had a newspaper and you had to wait for information to come to you and how that affects us now. Talk more about that. Did I send you that? voice memo on that one yeah oh okay yeah i was like i remember recording i don't know if i sent it yeah you um did. <laughs> yeah so sandy to kind of catch you up on this one it's like i was chatting with my classmate and we were talking about the state of the world and like how you know the, there was a world war there were two of them you know there were things that were like really bad for our country and and, and our citizens and we're like how did people go to school during this time how did people operate their lives in in these times like because I'm not alive to remember any of these things um, or I wasn't alive to, to go through it. But the, the, what Joy brought up is like, I feel like we are inundated with so much information. We have access to so much information. And I think that adds to the stress where before there was probably not as much. Yeah, you had radio, right? Like AM radio and you had newspapers. But it's like not everyone had a newspaper. Not everyone had a radio. Not a lot of anybody had TVs. Like there was just like the the way you heard about things is maybe talking to a friend, but like you were kind of oblivious to the world. And, and maybe that made it even more stressful because you didn't know what was going on. But also like I, on the other end of the spectrum, it's like we know too much. I'm on Twitter and I hate it. And I open it every day, all the time. I'm like, I don't want... It just increases my blood pressure. And we're also really exposed to the worst of the worst, the worst of humanity. I think that uh, one of the things I remember that my husband talked about, he grew up in Vienna and 
a pretty small part of town. And that when he would want to do something, he'd go to the library and he'd read everything he could find on the subject. And then he'd make his decision. And the two things that he knew were, it's a pretty big library. This is Vienna, you know, it's a big city, yeah. that books were experts and that he had read everything the experts had to say. And now he'd make his decision. The problem with what we've got today is that you could read something and, okay, another phrase I'm allergic to is fake news, but that it could be complete BS, but just because it's written by somebody who's got a lot of followers or, you know, whatever it is. And also you can never get to the bottom of anything because, and that was, he got analysis paralysis all the time when he was trying to decide on something, he'd get onto the internet and, and just be like, and I don't know what to do now. Because it's not like like the library where all the books are written by actual people who had editors and whatever. And uh, it was finite. There's a barrier to entry of writing a book. And you have to be pretty darn smart and know your shit and be an expert and go through a lot of hoops to get your information printed versus the... And now even TV is it that way. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But I don't think we are... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we need to be very picky and filter out the crap and critical of what the sources are. So I think that that is what we lack is we just take things at face value. I, hopefully we're getting smarter, smarter about that. But that's a huge issue of people just taking things at face value or seeing their friend post something and they're like, that must be true. And so, yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how Facebook has turned into like yeah. the mom machine of disinformation. Well, and, and part of the problem is exactly that because you will see, you'll see interviews on people that have a different view than we all seem to have the three of us. And they'll be saying that, you know, they believe name that tune. That's just absolutely fake per science or per whatever, but they've been told that by somebody that they believe in. And it's like, wait a second, when did facts become like not a thing? (laughs) And that's part of the problem too. It's not just the internet. It's also that now there's this earth too, that people seem to live on. And and that's Mm -hmm. the part that I don't know how to deal with. Yeah. I was talking to a friend last night. We had dinner at a restaurant Uh, (laughs) outdoors in the cold, but (laughs) We were talking about the role of journalists and like how even they are starting to fail us a little bit. Most recently, the New York Times, their drip, drip, drip of all the um, tech stuff. And they're writing it up as if he's broken the law and he's not. He's just exploiting the law. And he is one of hundreds of these people who are able to do this. And I think the the journalists tee it up in a way that is like very anti-Trump, which it should be. The New York Times is left-leaning. Like We know all these things. But it's like they don't address the systemic issue of these are all the loopholes that he's been able to exploit. How about we do something on this side? Right. Like, that's the story. Like, the legislature is fucked. Let's fix it. Not Donald Trump exploited the laws. (laughs) No. I mean, please lock him up. But, like, he didn't break any laws. There's no laws broken by his tax stuff. It's just really shady. So you know, morally, morally, it's wrong. And like, but people in power and people with money are going to try to keep all the money that they can. And I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying address that, address how we fix that, not just say, here's what happened, you know? And I, I think I lean on the journalists and I, I, you know, again, I'm a huge Rachel Maddow fan and she tells me all the things I need to know and a lot of things I don't need to know. And 
I learn a lot from her and I think more people could aim to be kind of how she operates in understanding the background and then understanding like what is, what is needs to be fixed instead of a lot of these stories and a lot of this, this journalism that's gloom and doom, but with no action. And I, like, yeah, it's kind of like this, um, there has to be a villain and the villain is Donald Trump. And I'm not totally on board with that. Like, I, certainly there's a lot of effed up stuff that he's doing, of course. But I think to your point, Will, of the system is screwed, that we need to focus on that too, is I think way, is way more effective than just trying to bash him because what you're doing, and I talked about this a little bit last week, my husband and I have this discussion all the time, is the more we bash him or try to make Trump voters look stupid, they're just going to keep pushing back get angrier and angrier. So that's just not solving anything. Now, of course, Donald Trump's going to continue to do what he does, which is just talk circles and try to make himself look better and talk about himself. But if we just continue to make that the problem without fixing the system, I think that we're just going to keep running in circles. I agree with that. Yeah. I think that's right. But I, I wanted to make a note, and you, you may hate me for saying this, but I wonder if other people experience this. I was watching him in the first debate and even in the town hall. And I watched because I want to be informed and I don't want to, you know, just be totally, totally one-sided. I really, really, really try to understand the right uh, and the conservative conservative and Republican view. And I don't want to be in that trap of it's all bad. All Republicans are bad or all conservatives are bad. I'm trying to really understand. But I was watching him. I felt myself kind of being hypnotized by his energy almost like he's so convincing and, and I'm not saying I agree with him but I'm just seeing I'm trying to think like I can see how people would fall for this because the way he talks with this is just right this is just how it is with no doubt I can see people falling into that trap I was just like found myself like kind of going whoa he's just a really good talker like he's a really good debater he can make anyone look stupid. Like, I can't believe you think this way. And I think that is the gift of his to get people to follow him. But it's also effing scary. That's what scared me was I was like, whoa, I can kind of see how people are just like, well, it's like cult leader type stuff. <laughs> you yeah, know? He talks like, with such authority. Yeah. Even though everything out of his mouth is a lie. Like, yeah. But the way it comes across is just like, I can't believe you don't agree with me. I mean, it's right very much like cult leaderish with yeah. I was just trying to think like I could see how people would follow him. Yeah, I mean that's what it it's reminds terrifying. me of. Is, like you look you look actually ostensibly if that's right the word probably not but you look at like Charles Manson or you look at uh Jim Jones or you look at Mussolini or you look at whatever. And the Nexum guy since that's been it, like the documentary of the day. Yeah. And you look at them now in a documentary and you know from now that the the historical perspective, what kind of happened at the end, right. you know, so you, Didn't you end can well. say, yeah. well, oh, well, there were signs and portents and, you know, whatever. Well, the whole point is when you listen to that stuff, you get it. And especially if they show like the pictures of people listening to the cult leader and, you know, this that, and the other thing, you suddenly go, like you said, Joy, it is a, a mass hypnosis moment where it's like, it it's like they believe that. Yep. You know, it's a mass hypnosis moment and whoever happens to be hypnotized by that follows it. And that's what I experienced. I was really trying to think of that. I know that sounds a little silly, but I was just like, I can see it. I can see how people would fall for this because he's so convincing. 
I wasn't convinced, but I'm saying like the energy of it is so powerful and he just comes across so like what, what he says is with so, so much authority. Okay, moving on. I want to talk a little bit about this, but I will also want to parlay it into the next voice memo. But I just want to honor the fact that when you wrote, when you sent the voice memo right after RBG died, uh, Justice Ginsburg died, you were so emotional. And it was just, I think we were all feeling that emotion. Tell me what was going through your head that day. I mean, I still get emotional thinking about it. (laughs) I think I talk about, and I was like, mourning someone you never met and mourning like someone you don't know. Like I have a, I have Ruth Bader Ginsburg's headshot, I guess, her judicial, her justice headshot from the website. You can download all the, you can download Congress's everything on everybody. I have it printed in a frame, like on my bookshelf, like not this bookshelf in there. I also have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're both like up on my, and like, when I was watching CNN and on the app and it like popped up and I like, I, I had no words. I don't <laughs> I know so it was the same I think it, we were all I know we were all I was at dinner it's one of those things where you probably won't forget where you were yeah I was at dinner with friends someone popped up on their phone because they got the news updates on their phone immediately and she just started bawling she she was like oh my god oh my god oh my god we we're like what did someone what happened and she just was like RBG just died and we all just sat there and we we're like no because what does this mean now what does this mean? That's really, I think, what, like, she had a wonderful life and she, yeah. you know, was she a fighter. so like, many things, yeah. And I think the, the, what made me most emotional is knowing that at that moment, we will be going through exactly what is happening right now on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And exa- like, Agree. I knew that at that moment, they're going to fuck everything up and, like, do exactly what they're doing. And I, and I knew it in you knew my it. soul that that was going to happen. And, and, I wept not only for her, but I wept for our country and knowing like this is going to be a fight for a little while. But also like the rights that she was able to to bring about access to abortion and gay rights. Like these weren't like she's not a she's not like a, a dictator. She's a Supreme Court justice. Like she's not like this. She right, but fought. what she stood for and what she yeah. fought for. To know that her legacy will be overshadowed by what's happening right now breaks my heart. I guess I recorded that like three or four days later because yeah. I was just so emotional. Every and I, I was bawling on. The yeah, day. yeah, um, I know you were. I think we. I mean, but we all relate to that. We all relate. Those of us who know what she did for women, for gay rights, for I mean, so many people don't realize that they are doing what they're doing because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and. From my experience, I'm thinking I'm devastated for her family. I'm devastated for her friends. I'm devastated for the world that loves her so much. And what really made me sad was when I heard her granddaughter talk about how she did not want her position replaced until after the next president was elected. And to me, I'm thinking not two days later is Trump talking about Nancy Pelosi, how Nancy Pelosi had written that. Yeah. Granddaughter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and I'm just thinking, okay. I don't know what I would do. I've never been the president of the United States, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure I would honor someone's dying wish who did so much for our country. Not this guy. Well, and 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 again, that's the alternative reality, which is if you were to take the conservatives' view, they would believe that this person had done so much to wreck America, and so in actual fact, it would be the opposite of what we're feeling. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? So 
the fact that she died would be like, sorry, Scalia, but it would be like Scalia dying where it's like, oh, thank God. Okay. We got, sure. we got a space. Sure. 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 I, so, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. But I also, I also feel, I think why I was really emotional about it too, was that we didn't get a chance to grieve her in the bigness of the way we should have grieved her because within within two days they had, you know, they had started the the machinery for Amy Barrett. And in my view, she needed like a freaking month in the rotunda with candles and all of it, you know, and, and her, um, you know, her PT guy doing pushups at her, at her coffin and all that stuff, just like all amazing for a big, long time. And then if you want to fuck with things, fine. But a day later, two days later, and and that's part of it too for me, was like the disrespect of it. And then we could get into Mitch McConnell's. Uh, that's no. not. Mitch McConnell looks like the toad from The Wind in the Willows. I've never seen anybody who so looks like a character with, a, 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 he looks like Mr. Toad from The Wind in the Willows. <laughs> and his, uh, Mr. Toad's wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know. When Obama had an open seat, we couldn't we couldn't refill that position uh, at that time. Now we can. Okay, last two voice memos, and then we'll wrap it up. I loved the one about the flag, the thin blue line. This one talks about you saw a. I love this one because I feel like there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't want to do this a disservice by by a kind of speeding through it. But I will say. What came up for me when listening to this one, and Sandy, this was where Will saw someone put up a police flag. It was like Blue Lives Matter flag, right? Like a, oh. yeah, in his neighborhood. And he was just like, come on now. I mean, here's the thing. Because, because Black Lives Matter doesn't mean like, you know, we're not going to get into the All Lives Matter bullshit. But why can't we just all be for Black Lives Matter and then all of a sudden we have to pick sides and be like, no, but blue lives matter, which by the way, there's no, no such thing as a blue life. It's like, whatever. <laughs> so, so what came up for me, Will, was when you were talking about this was, oh, we all of a sudden have to be divisive. Like we can't just be for black lives. We have to pick a side. If we are, if we're just talking an, an example of the George Floyd murder, we have to pick a side. We can't say Black Lives Matter. We all of a sudden have to be like, well, what about the police officers? Because there's so much around Black people getting murdered by police, all of a sudden people have to pick a side? What is that about? So that's what came up for me. was like putting up this flag and being like, well, I'm against Black Lives Matter. I have to be for blue lives. It's like, no, no, no. Why do we all have, like, and part of it, I feel like this president has created so much division in this world is that's what's going on. But talk a little bit about what you were thinking with that voice memo. So this fucking guy. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so down yeah. under, like, under my apartment, there's like three businesses and he owns one of them. Amongst other things that he's just awful. There's like a little median out front and they installed this, he attached to the stop sign a flagpole with this blue, thin blue line flag. And I was like, I'm in Bushwick. It is so racially diverse. He's Puerto Rican. Like, I don't understand this. I think he's a drug dealer. So he has it up there. So the cops don't stop. But like, that's just like another. It's a whole other ball of wax. (laughs) So he has this flag. And I, when does this episode come out? Like as soon as possible. I'll probably have it out in a couple days. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm like, I'm moving on Friday. So like if he hears it and okay. <laughs> he won't hear it. Who cares? Okay. I don't think he's a podcast listener. Um, <laughs> especially not to, yeah. especially not a Joy and Claire listener, <laughs> yeah. a drug lord listening to our yeah. podcast. Yeah. So I tore the flag down because it was oh. within reach. I was coming off a run. I was like, fuck this. I was like, tore it down, threw it in the trash can. I hope you were like listening to Beyonce place. at that time. And you're just like, oh, probably. Girls, the world. Take that flag. Yeah. <laughs> so then the next day, there's another one on an extended oh. pole. And now, now there's like a whole host of flags out there. He's got a thin blue line. There's a one with a red line. I don't know what that is. Um, Fireman. 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 Cool. I support you. Like, I don't, what is this? He's got a, like a military flag, which again, please fly that all day long. He's got a Puerto Rican flag. Great. Cool. But he's got like this divisive flag out there. And now he's like, I can see it from my third floor window is how high he's built this thing. And people, and he's got like spikes on the bottom of it. So like you can't reach above it, like a whole thing. It's like his, his life has gone into these flags and they're on public property. It's on a public signpost. And I've called 311 and been like, there's illegal posting and like they come and they don't do anything. But I don't know if I put this in the memo, but across the street is a bar and they, yeah, put, and a they put a huge yeah, pride flag. Pride flag. Yeah. yeah. And across the other street is this uh, apartment building and the people who live on the third floor put out this huge BLM sign. <laughs> so I was even telling my friend, um, he lives like down the street and he's like, Oh, what building are you in? I was like, Oh, I'm right here on Stanwake's. And he goes, Oh, in front of the blue lives matter sign. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it, he's like, I hate that dude. And he didn't even live in this block. <laughs> but they know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just such an eyesore and such a, like a, a bully move. It's a bully move. right? Yeah. So I'm back to your point of like being divisive. Like I, I feel like it, it's intentional divisiveness. Right. Do you follow uh, this president has no, this girl has no president. This girl, or, Yeah. A girl has no president. A girl has no mm-hmm. president. Did you see that she posted a few days ago? Um, and it was like that front yard with all the Trump signs and all the whatever. And it's like, when you want people in space to know how racist you are. And it's, it's like, it's like that. It's intentionally antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is. And I, I have a hard time understanding why we can't just let Black Lives Matter be Black Lives Matter. Why we have to all of a sudden be like, well, what about the blue lives? And what about the firemen? What Like, look, I've said this before on the podcast. I've worked for the DA's office. I'm friends with cops. I, we love our police department, but we're not saying, we're not saying that black lives matter. All of a sudden other lives matter less. Like I, I don't want to beat that to death. It's not pie. It's not not, pie. It's not a pie. That's what I was going to say. It's not (laughs) like we, just because you're for black lives doesn't mean you're against other lives. It's so ridiculous. Anyway, the division piece drives me nuts. And I, I love that you just, you know, we're talking about that and the importance of just how we don't need to pick a side. We are all for equality. That one, that one was really um, important because I feel like it just speaks to, at least in my opinion, the division that this administration has created, especially. So here's I think the, um, there are sides. I think there are sides. That's that's the thing about this. This that I just wanted to sorry sure. add that one. No, 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 please. Is that this current executive branch sees things as sides. I mean, it's like the softball on the final debate where the moderator said, basically, what are you going to do during your inauguration? You just won. And then Trump was on about blue states and red states and whatever. And Biden, to his credit, 
didn't take the bait on what Trump said, which I've forgotten because I was full by that time anyway. But then Biden did the, I would be the president for everybody. There are no sides. I mean, for he everybody. pretty much just said that. And and that was the thing but that I think is the point. And, and I say that all the time, that's not a pie. But the point of it is that we've become a sided country. There are sides. You're on this side yeah. or that side. And, right. and we've lost the, we're Americans, you know, thing. And I think that's one of the yep. biggest disservices that this government has done now is the fact that they have made it sided. What is the benefit of picking a side? What is it? Because I always try to think of devil's advocate. Like, what is the benefit of being like, I'm going to this- win. You can win. Yeah. If there's two sides, you can win and they can lose. That's there's the a winner point. and there's a loser. There's a winner and it's going to be you. Yeah. And so as opposed to we're all in it together. Yeah. Why can't we all just be winners? Right. But, but but that's what I'm saying. Like you ask the question, why are yeah. they tried? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what comes up to me. Well, yeah, and Donald Donald Trump. God, I hate oh. saying that name. He always wants to be a winner, and mm-hmm. that, like he doesn't. He thinks losers are awful, and he never wants to be that. And the only way, like you said, Sandy, is to if, to have a winner is to have sides. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. He does not believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, yeah, and that's a perfect analogy. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and. Sorry. No, I I'm, I have a lot of thoughts that I could go into, but we're trying to keep this a little bit on time here. The other thing that I think about a lot is he, okay, Donald Trump, for whatever reason, has become this president. And he, in my opinion, has not proven that he can be a leader. So right now, we have the opportunity to elect someone who I feel could unite the country. Donald Trump I'm sure he's accomplished some really great things in his life. I don't care to know all about his businesses businesses and his hotels, but it's clear that he's done a lot in his life. He just shouldn't be president. Let's just put that in the front of saying, sure, he's accomplished a lot for people who may be on his side. I just don't think he should be president. Let him move on in his life and do his corrupt, weird things. But let's just not do this with someone who's leading our country. Let's give someone else uh, a chance to unite. And that's what really makes me sad is all the division. So let's finish on a positive note because I love the tulip blooming voice memo that you left. It was very uplifting. And talk about your friend's analogy about the tulip. Yeah. So my friend Julianne, we're in law school together. Uh, She's a Buddhist. She's amazing. Um, And she told me this like Buddhist teaching about a tulip bulb and how if a tulip a tulip has to endure the winter and if it blooms too soon it will die so it's kind of an analogy not just like for our what's happening right now but kind of in life where you have to get through all the bad all of it in order for growth to happen and if you try to come out of it too soon yeah i don't want to say you're going to die because that's not right it's like you won't <laughs> you will be dead You'll be dead. If you come out of, of the, the bad too soon, it's like, have you learned all that you needed to learn? Have you, are you at a place that's, have you learned the full lesson? So I think in, in, in relating it to like what's happening right now, it's like we as a country we're, have been complacent for so long. Oh yeah. Only half of the country voting on, you know, all of these things. It's like, this should not be how it works, but we just been just so like sitting on our ass doing nothing. Right. We are now living through the bad. All that is happening now how we're already at like 70% of the or the vote that was last uh, four years ago. Yeah. And it's not even, we still have a week. Right. It's not even election day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like Texas is already at 60 something percent. I check it every single day. 
That's amazing. Like, it's insane. There's so many people voting. And I'm like, these are the things that needed to happen. And this is the only way that this would have ever happened is to get into this pickle that we're in right now with this mm-hmm. Yahoo, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this ding dong. This, this ding dong. Had it not been bad, the, all the all the all the great things that are coming, like Black Lives Matter, wouldn't have come to the forefront. Like all of these issues are being addressed now. That because were, of the extreme, were, the extreme craziness yeah. that's in the office right now. All yeah. of us who are like, uh, excuse me, we don't agree with this. The energy is just like built up. So it's that. Yeah. What's the word? It's kind of like when you have when you like manifest something really really big. It's because you had. A really diff- bit like a, you had a big difficulty that created so much energy that you manifested this huge thing. Like that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. The energy is so intense against this that we're like we have to do something. So the collective energy of like we have to do something has created all these movements, and it's amazing. Yeah. That's like the silver lining, I guess. Yeah, and I think that that was the point of the the bulb story. Is like we the beauty of it will be when we get on the other side of this. Yes, right. I love it. The thing that's the thing that's interesting though too, which I have a conversation about as a lawyer. um, I have a conversation about fairly often is the fact of the Supreme Court turning more conservative, and um, that you know we have to some extent for decades we've been having the Supreme Court fix a bunch of stuff that's gone on. Because as most people know, or maybe they don't, that the Supreme Court hears things when states disagree. So California has this rule, Georgia has this rule, Supreme Court hears it. And the federal government is a government of limited rights. So the federal government only gets to govern over certain things. When we first, when they first wrote the constitution, it was the states were supposed to be like little countries. Now what originalists believe is that's how it should be. So if California has a law that there can be abortion and Georgia has a law that there can't be abortion, what happened back in Roe versus Wade is they took the right of the federal government to to, um, legislate over interstate commerce and said, this isn't going to be fair because people that can travel over here can do this and people that can't travel can't do this. So we're going to make it the law for the country. Now, the thing is with a conservative court, a liberal court works for lazy voters in that in that we we just imagine that the court's going to make things happen that are that are right. Whereas now that we're going to have a conservative court, because we are, voters have to be more active. They have to, you know, the, the voters that allowed the whatevers to make the law that was crazy in whatever the state is, the people in that state that weren't voting have to vote that out or not. And so I think that's part of it, too, is what you're saying is in the tulip analogy. I mean, I tend to think of this like the Supreme Court being so conservative is like that tulip bulb is going to go through some winter. Hopefully what's going to happen is that voters are going to realize they can't be complacent and imagine that the Supreme Court is going to overturn all these terrible laws that we had. Instead, voters have to take, you know, put on their big boy and girl panties and they're going to have to take it to their legislature at the state level and go, no, that's completely screwed up. Nope, that's screwed up. That is part of, I hope, what's going to happen out of this. Just like you said, we've had so many more voters come out And hopefully they'll understand that, you know what, now that we've got this conservative Supreme Court, you better understand you have laws on your books that now you got to work to overturn. Because if all the states agree, then that's going to be the law. You do not need the Supreme Court to come down and say, that's completely screwed. We're going to make this law. Instead, now America's got to be one. All the states have to agree and do it. So that's one thing that I also 
hope happens is that people, now that we're going to have a conservative majority, I hope that voters realize they have to vote and they have to read those propositions and they have to understand mm. what that means for their state because their state is going to be like a little country and it's going to be important to do that. So yeah. not to be on the soapbox about that, but I think a lot of people don't actually realize what a conservative or liberal court could mean with vis-a-vis the whole voting thing. Right. And I think that as far as this administration goes, I feel like a lot of people have just stepped up to be more involved, but I think we can do more. So if there's one thing that you take away from listening to this episode today is to be involved in some way, shape or form. Like we were talking about earlier, you don't have to be knocking on doors or making phone calls, but educate yourself, educate yourself about the facts Get your news from different sources. Go to the media bias chart and make sure that you're viewing where you're, get your, where you're getting your facts from. Just Google media bias chart and it will tell you where you're getting your news from. If it's right-leaning, left-leaning, or in the middle, try to get something from every source, everywhere on that spectrum. And then also don't let, don't leave it up to someone else to do the work for you. Don't assume that, oh, well, I'm not really into politics. And you are into politics if you live here (laughs) because you are a citizen of the United States and you should be involved in what's going on around you and for your neighbors. The other thing I want to kind of get on a soapbox about, and then we can end, stop voting for yourself, like vote for your neighbors, vote for the community, vote for your future children people who are going to carry on with what's going on in the world and make it better. I've heard people talk about why they're voting and it's a little bit, okay, fine. It's fine if you like stand for something and it's more of like a moral thing, whatever, but think about other people around you too. Think about your, your black and brown friends of like what they're dealing with and, and what your vote means for them. I think we're just getting a little too selfish. Again, I think that goes with the administration of like how self-absorbed he is. I think another thing this, that, that I heard just recently, and it might have been on Rachel Maddow, since we're whatever, is a gal who she interviewed who lost her election by one vote. She was talking about this. And the interviewer, Rachel Maddow or whoever it was, said, why do you keep at this? And the gal said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And I thought, oh, that's it right there. So I just wanted to share that if you hadn't heard that phrase before. I'd never heard it before. I haven't. That's really but that's great. It. I have one takeaway. Yeah. One, one more quip, I guess we can share with everyone who's listening. And this, I, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but it spoke so, it spoke to me in a way that I, like it helps me understand and it also helps me kind of communicate why people should vote. Could be like, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not a voter. I don't like, I'm not into politics. Bitch, you live here. <laughs> You're... It affects yeah. you. That's but, yeah. That that excuse is going to be what I'm allergic to. Like I'm allergic yeah, to that. Yeah, but the thing is, so the, the the clip that I heard was voting is like taking public transit to get to a party that you've been invited to your own right. wedding. Let's say you take public transit. You take the line that gets you as close as you can to your destination. Yep. Everyone has a different destination, but you take the line that gets you as close as you can to get there. Yep. There's no train that gets you directly where you need to go, but you get as close as you can. And then you do the work to get the rest of the way, but you don't not take the train, right? Yep, yep. You vote, you take the yep. train and then you get vote for the person that gets you as close as you can to where you think you want to be. Right. And then you do the work to get the rest of the way. And yep. that's how I am. Like God love Joe Biden was not my first choice. Was not my second right. choice. Right. Was not my third choice. Right. We're kind of settling. It's okay. It's fine. Yep. 
We're, we're just taking the train to get as close as we can. Yeah. He's yep. the train. And the stop of Joe Biden gets me as close as I can. I'm going to fight like hell to get the rest of the way. So that's perfect. That's, that's perfect. Anyway, take, get, get on the train, people. That's perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. Let's end on that note. Thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, listeners, you can go to one of my favorite resources right now is votesaveamerica.com to get all the information about voting and voting in your state. So get on there, votesaveamerica.com. You can email us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram joy and claire underscore you can contact us directly from our instagram profile page with any feedback about this episode or anything you want to share with us about your experience and thank you sandy thank you will for joining us today this was such a great conversation and i'm gonna intersperse these voice memos into the episode so you can hear will's lovely beautiful voice uh and raw emotions about all this and uh thank you guys so much we love you love you